I want to talk with you today a little bit about entering into calling. Because I can tell you that I really feel that to some degree I'm just beginning to enter into aspects of calling that the Lord has spoken with me about for years. I'm going to share with you like this paradigm that's in Acts 13 and Matthew 28. Acts 13, we have the sending out of Barnabas and Saul into the nations. Now Acts 13 for me begins at the end of Acts chapter 11. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 11. Pardon you? <laughs> Acts chapter 11, Agabus comes through the Antioch church. He prophesies a famine. They believe that it's God and act upon it. And so in verse 29 it says, in, in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So they go to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem. They get to Jerusalem, and this is what's going on in Jerusalem. About that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had Jacob, Yaakov, James the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it's during the days of unleavened bread. And then, you know, Peter's under heavy guard, and uh, prayer is being made fervently for him. And an angel comes and rescues Peter. He didn't rescue Jacob or James. Uh, he didn't rescue that man. He rescued Peter. He goes to the prayer meeting where people are praying for him. They don't even believe that he's there. And um, they put to death... They put to death um, the guards, and then towards the end of the chapter, uh, God puts Herod to death because of, uh, of the acclamation he was receiving, the voice of a God and not a man. In verse 24 in Acts 12, it says, But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And in verse 25 it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. Do you see that? They're there through this thing. You recognize that. And so what is it that they do when they return? They are filled with a different type of faith. I mean, they have already been functioning in an apostolic type of a capacity. They're governing in the church. Uh, it's a city church. They're functioning as elders there. Barnabas has been sent. He's an apostle sent by the church in Jerusalem up to, up to Antioch. Barnabas' name means son of the prophets. Or bar, son of Navi, meaning prophet in Hebrew, Barnabas, okay? And it's translated in the New Testament as son of encouragement, which declares the type of prophetic ministry that this guy had. I mean, talk about son of encouragement. I mean, it was not just an act of compassion and love and faith that caused that man to sell everything and lay it at the feet of the apostles. It was an act that was inspired by the Holy Ghost. And you get that because of his name. 
This man is a prophetic man. He's sent up there because he's probably the most encouraging guy they can think of in Jerusalem. And like, they're so different from me. I mean, I'd send up the most discerning guy I could think. And they send up the guy, you know, because there's non-Jews getting saved and Jews, and there's this one new man thing that's coming about in Antioch. And it's like, you know, I, I want to send up somebody that's able to really, you know, discern it and set it straight. But no, they send up somebody that encourages the work. And he goes over and he gets Paul, who begins to respond to the calling on his life to take the word of the Lord to the nations. He goes over to Antioch and he's ministering to Jew and non-Jew alike. Then they're down in Jerusalem. And I mean, God is moving there, right? They go up to Jerusalem and this is where the twelve are. And it's like they have not seen this type of Holy Spirit activity up in Antioch. I mean, people getting killed for Jesus and other people getting uh, put in jail and angels releasing them and God executing judgment upon the people that did it and all this type of stuff. And they go back and they begin to seek the face of God not to find out what they're supposed to do. They're not focused on what they're supposed to do. They're focused on, according to the text here, verse 2, when they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. It was not, oh God, we need direction. How do we bring this work forward? Oh Jesus, send your spirit. Let it come. Give us a vision. Tell us where to go. That's not what's on their heart. They came back and they had a word with the other elders in that city and they said, I've got to tell you what happened while we were there. We're there to deliver this money. And Herod took James, the brother of John, and took Yaakov and killed him. And then he saw that it pleased the, the, the leaders of our people, and they took Peter and they threw him in jail. And now they're going, oh no, what happened? They go, wait, 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 you won't believe this. God sent an angel and he opened up the door and the very people that were supposed to keep him bound ended up getting put to death. Whoa, that's incredible. Yeah, and it was funny too because he went to this prayer meeting where they're praying for his release and he's knocking at the door and he's telling who it is and they didn't even believe that he's there. I mean, it's really a riot. You should have, I, we spoke to Rhoda, you know. It's like, it was really funny. And that, they go, that's incredible. Go, but wait, wait, wait. You won't believe this. Then, and Herod stands up and people start praising him as if he's deity and God sends an angel and killed him. They go, whoa, we have never seen it like this. We have never heard it like this. Let's seek the Lord. Let's thank him for what he's done. Let's draw near to God. And they're on their faces and they're sitting at the table and they have like, the scrolls open and they're into the night and there's, there's like these little, you know, uh, candles, you know, oil and wicks and it's, and it's in this, this Mediterranean situation. There's a breeze coming in. They're calling on the name of the Lord and the Spirit of God comes and says, this is what I want them to do. Set them apart to do it. And it's like all of a sudden everything about their lives change and they go up to a whole new level, whereas they had already been focused upon doing the will of God, walking in integrity, trustworthy men, not seeking great things for themselves. They weren't even seeking direction. 
they were seeking God. And every time that I have experienced some sort of further direction in my life that has lasted and that has borne fruit, it hasn't necessarily come when I was seeking Him for direction. It came when I was seeking Him. It came while I was being faithful in the little that God has given me to do. I consider what it is that I'm doing now to be little but significant. I am not seeking to... You understand what I'm saying? And when I'm at home and when I'm by myself, I'm not seeking the Lord as to what it is to do or say necessarily. I just want to be with Jesus. My heart cries out to God in the night and when I wake up and when I drive and when I sit. I want to be with Him. I want to know Him. Must. I must. And you see, dear friends, this did not just happen to these men. This happened within the front. I mean, the same pattern can be seen within the context of the giving of the Great Commission. So please turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28. Do we still have a bottle of water over there? Now Matthew 28 is in the Gospel of Matthew. I think that that type of thing is funny. <laughs> All right. Here we go. So Jesus has been buried. Jesus is dead. Mary Magdalene and others, they want to go see the, uh, the um, place where he was buried. They want to see him. They want to anoint him. And start in verse 28. After the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And he reveals some good news to these women. The guards are shaken for fear of him and become like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, because I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Angels giving evidence. I mean, that's wild, right? Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly in fear and with great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. And Jesus interrupts them. I mean, why is he interrupting them when an angel had already told them what to do, right? He couldn't help himself. He had, just had to get a hold of these people. And then, of course, you know, <laughs> it's written, it says, do not cling to me, but he had to get a hold of them. And he begins to reveal himself to them. They took hold of him and uh, of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So they're on their way, and then, you know, this whole conspiracy thing as to how to lie about the resurrection takes place. And the women have gone, and they go, and they speak to the disciples. And then the disciples pack up, and they begin to walk up to the Galilee. Like, this is a walk. This is a hike. All right? Verse 16. 
the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Why did they go? Well, I asked this question the other day, and one person said, they went because of obedience. I said, yes, they went, and it was obedient. But why did they go? And the reason that they went is because of the message that these women brought that was given first by an angel and then confirmed by the Lord Jesus, tell them to go to the Galilee, for there they will see me. And the motivation of these men in going up to the Galil, up to the Galilee region, was not to find out what they were supposed to do. They went up there because they wanted to see Jesus. Well, hadn't these men been active in ministry? Well, obviously, yes. They had already raised the dead and cast out demons and preached the good news, prepared the way for his coming in various cities. They had organized crowds. They had sat at his feet. They had learned. They had listened. They had served one another. They had learned many lessons well. But they were not going there to find out what do we do next. They were going there because of this one incentive. Tell them to go to the Galilee. There they will see me. So they go. And in verse 17 it says, When they saw him. So it's like we're seeing him. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some were doubtful. And Jesus goes up to, again, a mixed multitude. These are not perfect men, are they? And the answer is no. They're not perfect men. Some are inside. It's the Lord. Oh, we bless you. You are the risen King, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, just like I saw back in chapter 16. Now we're up in chapter 28. You are the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And others are going, I don't know, do you think that that's Jesus? It might be Jesus. It looks a little bit like Jesus. Not Peter's like, you're the Son of the living God. And then Jesus draws near to them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some were doubtful, and Jesus came up. This is the draw near to God, and he will draw near to you story, right? He says, here's the invitation. Come, and there you will see me. We go, we begin to get a glimpse, and we're saying, Oh, Lord, that must, that's wonderful. Wait a second, individuals. I'm not too sure that that was you, but oh, I believe that this is... And we're a little bit conflicted. And then the Lord comes up and He says these words, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And what you've got there is self-disclosure. They want to see Him. They see him, and then he opens up his heart to them. Self-disclosure. And then after he reveals his nature and his character, behold, he gives them instructions. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's how the Great Commission was given, dear ones. Practically everybody that I know skips to the end of the chapter. They skip to the end of the chapter. And when they want to see him, it's in order to find out what, they want, what he wants them to do, to, 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 to do. What do you want me to do? And the voice of the Lord has been calling out for generations to the church, almost like a voice in the wilderness when he should be in his own home saying, isn't there anybody out there that just wants to see me? Who just wants to be with me? Those are the people who can be entrusted with the commissions for which they have been prepared. You can be spending all the time in the world preparing, fasting and praying, seeking the face of God that the gifts of the Spirit may be operating. You could be functioning in revelation. You could be functioning in a powerful ministry of healing, deliverance, or evangelism, or preaching and teaching. Or Oh, lo and behold, you can be establishing churches and raising up others to do the same thing. But dear ones, if you don't have this heart in you that the reason that you're doing it is because you wanted to see him, you did, and he spoke to you, and you're maintaining that heart. You have to maintain that heart. We have to maintain that heart. See, we, it's possible for the doers, the doers, and the anointed ones who are doing, 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 to end up becoming castaways in the midst of effective labor. And who wants that? Rather accomplish nothing and have his eye upon me and know that I'm seeing someone who is real by faith, by the Spirit, but you see, the Lord isn't like that. He doesn't say, just sit and I shall reveal myself to you, and lo, thou shalt never do anything. No, because he's motivated with concern for human beings that go beyond ourselves. <laughs> In this children's CD, we follow the curriculum, one, two, three. We've got all these songs that speak of this. And then we decided, you know, we need another song for the kids. We're securing them in the love of God. I mean, did you hear that CD? Was that one confident eight-year-old? I'm going to walk, run, skip and jump, wiggle my feet, you know, in your love, Lord Jesus. Confident eight-year-old on his way home from school, right? And then at the end of the CD, we decided to put in a song which goes like this. Listen, it's true that God loves you, but you're not the only thing he loves. And part of maturity is that like we begin to recognize, we become grounded, rooted and grounded in this love which surpasses knowledge, but then we begin to get in touch with the heart of God and say, you know, Father, you're concerned about that? I, have, I just give this pattern over to you folks as a gift if you'd like it. quite the pattern going somewhere in order to see him seeing him seeing him and then hearing him and then having a word released that ends up changing the lives of multitudes of people around you 
Maybe in some of our cases, such as myself or others, maybe a small multitude. Maybe with others it will be a great multitude. The issue is not what the effects of our work or the scope of our field. The issue is as to whether or not our heart is still towards him to see him. And we can hear from him and do what it is that he asks us to do. Now the other night at the fire church, Brother Yun was there, who is the man who wrote an autobiography of himself called The Heavenly Man. And so I, you know, we sat with that man in the afternoon. Dr. Brown was gracious to invite me to go into a meeting with him and three of the other three of the faculty members and sat and listened and we prayed for him and things like that. And of course, I'm extraordinarily blessed to be in the presence of someone who has a testimony. This is one of the leaders of the house church movement in China. He's been in jail. God miraculously rescued him. An extraordinary ministry and an extremely influential person in that part of the world. And with him was an interpreter from one of the Scandinavian countries named Brother Ren. Ren, I believe his name is. And I watched that man. This man had spent, he was, had been working in China for 25 years. His Chinese was very, very good. His English was a little flawed, but I mean, he was really, you could understand him. He was very clear. And he knew this man's story. I mean, he knew this man's story. He knew this man's heart. When he spoke, Brother Yun spoke with passion. This man spoke with passion. It was just, it was just, I mean, like you knew that he knew. You knew that he knew what this man had gone through. He knew his story. He knew his perspective. They were joined with one heart, joined with one mind. It was just a beautiful thing to do. I've ministered in other countries, not really too many other countries, no. I've only ministered in two countries besides the United States and Canada, which are happily English-speaking countries. I've been to Mexico. Once went down there by myself, didn't know the language. It was taking, like taking a vow of silence just around people speaking Espanol. I didn't know what in the world was going on around me. Whenever I thought that I did, I'd ask someone who did speak English who was just happily ignoring me as they continued to be very, very gracious and hospitable to one another. And uh, I would find out that I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and then in Israel, where they were speaking primarily Hebrew and occasionally Russian, and I didn't know what was going on there either. And you've worked with interpreters, and there are really good interpreters, and there are really not-so-good interpreters. This guy was an incredible interpreter. I mean, an incredible interpreter. And it was like, what I felt was going on in me was, I want to be like that guy. And I wasn't talking about Brother Yun. I was talking about his interpreter. I want us to be like that guy. We've spent so much time sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his heart, communicating with him, understanding his story, his stories, his motives, his heart, his passion, his concern, knowing him, knowing him, knowing him, knowing him, knowing him, hearing the inflection, knowing where it is that he's going, being willing to bend with him if he changes the message. I'll ch- you understand? Just spending that type of time with him, that when he speaks he, from heaven that there's a language which we understand and that we are able to speak with the same intent, the same passion, the same power, so that seeing one is like seeing the other. That the same message, the same heart, is living both in the speaker 
and then the interpreter. So we go in order to see. And then he opens up his heart and discloses himself. And then he tells us what to do. I'm sure that this type of language resonates with you because you are established upon strong prophetic foundations in, and experience in the lives of the senior leaders of this congregation. May I say to us that many people spend much time, perhaps too much time, seeking to develop charismata and not spending enough time developing the type of relationship with Jesus so that when his heart is weeping, we get it and we can interpret it. And when his heart is rejoicing, we get it and we acclimate. And when his heart is being direct in love and speaking words of his strength and encouragement, that we also are able to speak directly with love, in love, and speak those words of encouragement. Jesus wants to serve the church. The life of Jesus is present in the wa those who wash feet. Jesus wants to serve the church. He's with those who break bread and distribute it to others. I mean, just feeding people. Jesus wants to serve the church. He's with those who reach, he's with those who reach out into the lives of others and just give the look of I love you, accept you, know you. You're going to make it. God is with us. Jesus came out of the wilderness in the Gospel of Mark, having been driven in there by the whole, no, I'm sorry, by the Holy Spirit, right? Driven by the Spirit and faced down the devil in the area of provision, fanaticism, and worship. I don't know whether you've ever heard that before. I hadn't, but it's like, throw yourself down from the temple. Yeah, the angels will catch you. That's fanatical stuff. And I want to share with you that my own people have in the past, both in Jeremiah's time and in the time of the apostles, moved into a type of fanaticism which said, this city of God, we will always stand. God will deal with our enemies like he did with Sennacherib's army. It's fanaticism. The city was destroyed both times on the same day. You understand? And here's this, this fallen angel trying to, trying to tempt Jesus into pursuing a semblance of the kingdom of God through fanaticism. Jesus faced down the devil. He totally set that, that being to flight. And he comes out of the wilderness. And the wilderness that he was in was a, was a very deep experience for him and where he really met with his father. And you know what he did? He came out and said this, Repent and believe the good news. And what he is trying to say to these people is don't worry about provision. Don't worry about the activity of God. You don't have to provoke him. Don't worship anything else. Just rely upon him. I want the whole nation and then the whole world to see the Father just like I see Him. Repent and believe the good news. 
than other Gospels, things like the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain. He's going, ah, the Father, He's good. He'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about these things. Repent and believe the good news. You don't have to take revenge. Love your enemies. See them through the eyes of God. Repent and believe the good news. Don't evaluate others and exalt yourself. Just worship God and allow the Lord to sort people out. God's on the move. He loves those people. Repent and believe. I want the whole world to see the Father the way I see Him. Now, brothers and sisters, do you have a relationship with Jesus, with the living God, so that you can come out of whatever wilderness experience in which you may find yourself or have found yourself and come out saying, repent and believe the good news that I want the entire world to see God the way that I do? Do you know Him like that? Do you know Him in such a way? Thank you. And is it possible, if everybody would be very gracious to me, because I keep wanting to answer the phones. <laughs> yes, we're speaking about legitimate callings. Amen. So. supposed to finish approximately pastor one o'clock it's one o'clock <laughs> so this is a parable living parable for me I saw a man that I really admired a man whose sandals I am not worthy to unlatch the velcro of his sandals this man Brother Yun and yet Dr. Brown asked me to pray for him because I was a senior Jewish man in the room which means I was older yeah it was myself and Bob Mike Brown and Bob Gladstone and Scott Folk Jewish believers ministering the gospel of Jesus and raising up missionaries to take the good news of the kingdom of God to the nations an extraordinary thing I mean if you think about it this type of stuff was not going on 20 and 30 and 40 years ago I'm not part of that school but we are friends and I thank God that I was invited into the meeting and to share the seminar and the whole thing it was a living parable for me because I saw this one man who was really something and I saw the interpreter and I don't know whether he was really something or not but what really spoke to my life was that interpreter and I want you to try to catch that do you think that it is possible for the God for whom nothing is difficult to so train us in the knowledge of his son that we're able to interpret the heart and the words of Jesus to a world that does not speak his language. Do we believe that that is possible? Can God do that for me and for you? Can God give us that heart? Can he? Able to do what? Exceedingly. Able to do exceedingly abundantly able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we are able to ask 
able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we are able to ask or imagine. Glory to God. He can school us. He can teach us. But the problem is that if our goal is simply to be taught, if our goal is simply to enter into the fullness of our commission, we have already shot ourselves in the foot because then that goal becomes our God. And what the Lord is after is simply hearts that desire to see So like if you're stirred and you desire to see Jesus, then I've done my job. Then I've done what I'm supposed to do. And if you as a congregation can become united in heart and believe that the Lord can do this through you corporately, and you continue to press in in your worship times, in your times of prayer, individually and corporate, and whatever, fat and justice, opening up the Word to see Jesus, opening up your heart. Oh God, do you understand? The commissioning will follow. It must follow. It has. It can't help but follow. The branch that abides in the vine is only interested in one thing, and that is receiving and deriving its life from that vine. And as it gets full of life and begins to grow in its season, there begins to be an overflow that that branch cannot stop and that branch delights in him. A bud appears, and a flower appears, and then look at that fruit. We're so frightened that we don't have a vital relationship with God that we end up manufacturing fruit. I can do something that looks just like fruit, Watch me work. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays for them that they would receive impartation by the Spirit in their inner being, that their inner man would be strengthened so that the Messiah would dwell in their hearts through faith and that they, being rooted and grounded in love, would receive an epiphany, a, ca a capacity, an anointing to grasp, together with all the saints, the love of Jesus, which surpasses knowledge. I want to see Him. I want to know Him. But it does not end there. There's a result, and that result is that they would be filled with all of the fullness of God. And the John 15 parable and the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3, we find them walking hand in hand.
when we're filled with the fullness of God, there begins to be an overflow of life. But if what we're after is the overflow of life and not the knowledge of the love of God, again, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. The branch doesn't say, fruit, 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 fruit. The branch says, vine, vine. That vine is mine, right? It says, vine. The branch is vine-oriented. So let's not confuse result with first motive. Okay, I am done. Pastor Byron, however you feel to lead the meeting, I'm 